Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon is from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. So because it's the new year, I'm going to do something totally different. I want to talk to you today about something that you already know everything about. And it's actually a subject we love to talk about. It's a great conversation starter. It's one of the first things that we often want to know from one another. It's a source of extensive study and investigation, and it employs a huge number of people in a wide spectrum of areas to try and help us with it. It's also a subject that I don't feel especially well-suited to try and tell you anything about. How about that for an introduction? However, the scripture does have a lot to say about it, and so I'm going to dare to share with you some of what it has to say. And with that in mind, I want to, uh, want to turn to the scriptures. It's always good to start from that place, and in fact, I find it really difficult not to. So I'd like us to turn to Matthew 11. I want to read this from, from the message because this is probably the best known um, verse from the message, this version. And I really think it captures what God is wanting to say to us today incredibly, incredibly well. So Matthew 11, I'm just gonna read verses 28 to 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's an incredible ideal, isn't it? And if you're reading about yokes and things in your Bible, that's absolutely there. This, uh, this is a paraphrase. What does that mean? It's like the NLT. So this year, I am reading the NLT, the New Living Translation, uh, as part of my quiet time. Over the last four or five years, I've read a different version of the Bible each, each year which is a wonderful, um, it's, it's a wonderful habit, discipline, experience, exploration. Uh, and this year I'm reading the NLT and I'm really enjoying it. But the NLT is another one that is, it's not a paraphrase, it is a translation, but it tends to be more like a paraphrase. So what is a paraphrase? What does it mean? It means this, that the scriptures have been already interpreted a little bit in the translation. There is no translation without interpretation. I've got to understand the original languages and what the thing meant to be able to communicate it to anybody else, to be able to translate it. So a paraphrase is still a good Bible version, but... We need to understand, it's like it's been pre-digested. 
I think of those baby birds that eat directly out of their mother's mouths. They're eating semi-pre-digested food. A paraphrase is a little bit like that. Well, right now I'm reading Job in the NLT in my quiet time and absolutely thriving on some of the interpretation that's there because it just brings this incredible sense of the, the continuity and the flow of the message. And that's exactly, I believe, what Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased, translated the message, has grasped here in Matthew 11. Jesus tells his disciples three key things. He tells them the what. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Remember how I started? This is a real, this is a thing that we, we'd love to talk about. But actually, we usually set ourselves up for failure by filling our diaries so full that there just isn't enough space. When you look at your little diary block on your phone or even on your computer, on your 2400 pixel by 1280 pixel, you still have to scroll in the little block for the day because you've put so much stuff in. And that's not necessarily wrong. But many of us, when we look at our diaries like that, we instantly feel <gasps> anything but real rest. Then Jesus tells them the how. Watch how I do it, he says. Do we watch Jesus to find rest and peace? Then he tells them the why. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace because there is a sense in which we can live unstressed in the midst of all the frenetic activity and passion that is life. I'm gonna say more on that as we go. So there's an acknowledgement here that Jesus gives us of a common problem that we have as humanity. And that's the problem of fatigue. It's actually addressed throughout the scriptures. And uh, this is not the first promise that God gives to us in the Bible. Probably the best known one is the one in Isaiah 40. Those who wait on the Lord will rise up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. And we think, oh, wouldn't that be marvelous? Jesus is saying, it's not just a great idea. It's not just a great ideal. You can live in and out that reality now. Fatigue is a consequence and a symptom of the fall. In eternity, there will be no lack, not even fatigue. We will not be able to get tired and exhausted and fatigued and burned out and drained and empty in eternity. That's a great ideal, isn't it? It's also something which almost seems completely impossible. <laughs> because most of us, at least, if not all of us, have never lived out or never lived in that reality. But this, this thing of fatigue, of being worn out and depleted, is a consequence of the sin. When 
the Lord uh, speaks the curse, as it's called, in Genesis 3 over humanity. Cursed be the ground because of it. By the sweat of your brow, you will work it and it will bring forth fruit for you. This frustration, this labor, this exhaustion, this fatigue that comes is a consequence of sin. Sin in general, the fall, but also sin specifically, our sin, our uh, failure to prioritize the things that are actually most important. Again, more on that just now. It's interesting how this affects the whole of our lives and it affects the lives of those around us too. That's how sin works, unfortunately. Sin doesn't just, it's not, there's no such thing as private sin. It may be hidden in your back closet, in your, I don't know, in your private office, wherever. It may not be public, but it still affects more than just you. It affects those around you as well. And so it's important to recognize and embrace that fatigue and tiredness are not the same thing. We tend to, to use the language of, oh, I'm tired, when we mean I'm fatigued, I'm burnt out in this area of my life. Never ceases to amaze me. We can get to the end of a tiring week, we can get to the end of a busy week, a week that's been full of this and that and the other, and we feel worn out, we feel burnt out, exhausted. And somebody says to us, oh, let's, let's do this. And if it's something we love, I was looking at Nathan's t-shirt just now, don't need therapy, just need to go cycling. Yes. <laughs> and if it's something we love, and somebody says, come on, let's just go for a, for a quick cycle. Bang! There's all the energy in the world for it. There's only me who's ever seen that. You noticed it in yourself. You noticed it in others. It's amazing how when we're motivated for something, suddenly we aren't as tired as we thought we were. Because it's not tired. It's fatigued. And fatigued in a specific area. And again, more on that as we go through this. And I heard a depleted, depleted uranium. What did I say? Sorry, I apologize if I used the wrong word. I had really, a really, really helpful uh, phrase recently about, the, about this thing. Often when we say we're tired, we're not, we're depleted. We have run out of the, uh, the battery juice for that particular area. That part of who we are has, uh, has been expended. If it was tiredness, we could have a sleep and we would be over it. We would be over our tiredness. You know how different people react differently to stress? Some people can't sleep when they're stressed and other people, all they wanna do sleep when they're stressed. It's not about the sleep. It's about the stress. If everything, we, uh, if everything we needed was just to have a good sleep, there would be a simple, easily available solution. And it frustrates us 
when we're told, oh, you're tired. Well, make sure you get to bed early tonight and then, then you'll be fine tomorrow. We're using the wrong language because we are not identifying what the real challenge is. The challenge is that we are feeling depleted in a particular area of our lives. So if Matthew 11 isn't the beginning, what is the beginning? Well, Genesis is the beginning. In fact, the word genesis in Greek, how does, oh, that's an interesting aside. How does the first book of the Hebrew Bible have a Greek name? I'll, I'll leave you to go and do some homework on that. In, uh, in Hebrew, it's Bereshit, which is the first word of the first book. And that's how, actually how almost all of the books of the Hebrew Bible are named, are named after the first word of that particular book. But they've come down to us with these other Greek names. So Genesis, beginnings, happenings. I want to read Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, this is actually part of the same formula that Genesis 1 is full of. If you've got uh, a modern Bible that's laid out, that uses indentation and layout to communicate something of the original text. You'll see often, like an NIV or an ESV or one of those, you'll see that the days are laid out in chunks. Here we are in chapter two, and this is the seventh day. This is the last chunk of the creation account. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. He made it holy because on it, he rested from all his work of creating that there was to do. The Sabbath is the conclusion of the Lord's creative work of creation, of his active work of creation. I'm just letting that sink in for a little bit. Sabbath was God's response to the good creation that he had made, that he had done, that he had performed, that he had worked really hard to do. I don't know about you, but particularly at the moment, if I go out into the garden and I turn over the soil in one of the flower beds or the veggie bed, after however, however long, I'm pretty darn exhausted. And the Lord created the entire universe. Don't tell me that wasn't work. He expended a lot of effort. And he saw that it was good and that it was good and that it was good and that it was very good. And his response to all of that work and all of that goodness was the Sabbath. Now, I don't know what kind of mental picture you have when, when I use that word. Many of us have some kind of, I don't know, repressed, dour, oppressive uh, idea in mind. But for God, that first Sabbath was a celebration of the goodness of all he had created, of everything that was in place. The Sabbath for him was a celebration and we need to recognize that and realize Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, which I just read, comes before Genesis 3. What happens in Genesis 3? Well, I quoted it just now. 
the fall of humanity. The Sabbath was one of the very few things that we get revelation of about what God did and the patterns of his life, the rhythms of, of his existence. And we see the Sabbath. The Sabbath had nothing to do originally with the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the Torah. It had nothing to do with these legalistic ideas that do naturally come into our mind. I may say a little bit more about that just now. So the Sabbath is not a response to sin. I know that at one stage, um, it was taught that way, that we need a day of rest to ponder our wickedness and the goodness of God. When I spoke to, to my mum, who had grown up in the north of England and grown up under a lot of this kind of, of teaching in the church that she went to, not, that, not what I'm sharing with you now, but what I think naturally comes to our mind. Sundays for her were a horrible day because they had to get up early, wear uncomfortable clothes, go to, go to church, and when they got back, they had to sit. And if they wanted to read, they had to read the Bible. They, they had lunch together. But they weren't allowed to play with toys because that was far too much like work. Don't quite know how that logic worked, but that was what they had been taught. And it wasn't uncommon. There was a whole season of this teaching. And it came out of, as we'll see just now, a humanistic view of the fact that the Sabbath was included in the Ten Commandments. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. It certainly wasn't a celebration. It certainly wasn't a time of rejoicing in the goodness of God. And sin has ruined our God-given ability to, re to rest, to reflect, to rejoice, and to be restored. And it's because of those things that we need to remember God's Sabbath and to be able to celebrate in response to him and his goodness. It's religion that has tended to make the Sabbath a source of legalism rather than the source of liberation that God wanted, intended, purposed for it to be. So the author of Hebrews also picks up on this idea of the fact that God's God, not introduced, but God was the first one to talk about Sabbath and the fact that it was he who entered his own Sabbath. And he picks up on that and talks a whole lot about it and what it still means and how it still applies for us who have believed in Jesus. How is it rest? How does that look? How is it worked out? So I'd like us to... Turn to Hebrews 4. Because the author of Hebrews calls the Sabbath rest, or the Sabbath entering into his rest. Let me, let me quote him. 
Hebrews 4. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this is good news, that God has prepared this rest has been, and that has been announced to us just as it was written for them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has, uh, uh, has been ready since he made the world. And if you read on in that passage and you read before in that passage, you will see that he's talking about, the, the, first of all, about recognizing that God um, celebrated the goodness of his creation by entering into a Sabbath. And you'll see that his understanding of that scripture is that that Sabbath that God entered still hasn't finished. That God is still in his Sabbath rest. And there's things to be pondered on in there. Again, a little bit of homework. Has God been inactive since creation? Definitely not. So then what is the place of activity from within the Sabbath of God? So he's quoting here, from Psalm 95. Some people have, or some scholars have said that Hebrews is actually some kind of commentary on Psalm 95 and Psalm 110 because those two Psalms get quoted over and over and over again right throughout Hebrews. He picks up all his themes almost from there, even though, even though he does quote from other places. And, and he just, he just, he shows this incredible progression. Hebrews is one of those books that when you read it, you can see that he's going somewhere. He's building one thought on the next. Not necessarily so with all the other writings in the Bible. They're a little harder sometimes to see this, this sense of, hey, we're building one thing upon another. He anchors the meaning of Sabbath, the Sabbath rest of God, in creation like we were talking about uh, just now. And he presents Sabbath as the rest that God wants us to to live out of. Let us make every effort then to enter into the Sabbath rest of God. We need to make an effort. Why? Well, we've kind of already covered that because of sin. Sin mucks up our perception of our priorities. Sin mucks up our perception of our priorities. And we tend to prioritize without first praying and putting God first and asking him how we need to order. Now, this is a really common thing. We all battle with it. And if you haven't, let me share my own testimony. I find that even though I know God and have known him for many years, that some things I feel like I, I'm still a little scared to really just wholeheartedly surrender to him and say, Lord, be Lord, set your priority in this, in this whole area of my life. And, and, and I realize there's, there's, a, there's a slight holding back in me. Why? Like I already said, it's, it's fear. Why? Not because I don't believe and know that God is good, 
but then I want a little bit of autonomy still in this area. I like this. I want to do this. I want to prioritize it, Lord. And the Lord lets me. That's the grace of God. But in letting me, I miss out on his peace. And I add a, a, a depletion policy to my life. In other words, I'm expending my own resources, which are distinctly limited, instead of, as Jesus said to the disciples, take my yoke upon you. If you're doing my thing my way, then I'm going to be bearing the vast majority of the, the workload. You are going to be walking and working with me. My fear is losing that bit of autonomy. Occasionally, it's fear that he's going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Have you ever had that? No, none of you lot. Okay, but I confess to you that I, I have, I've feared that from time to time. They're, sometimes they're big things, sometimes they're small things. But I fear, not because I don't know that he's good, but because I'm afraid of how he works out his goodness sometimes. That sometimes his goodness involves a little bit of surgery because he knows that what's going on, what I want to hang on to, is like a cancer that he's actually killing me and I'm too flipping stupid and boneheaded and whatever to allow him to deal with it. Okay, none of you have had that. Please pray for me because uh, I have a lot of issues. The Lord still needs to deal with me in. But entering the Sabbath rest, this is God's desire and ideal and provision for each and every one of us. It is a desire for us to live out of the Sabbath rest that he is living in. He says, come and join me in this. Not a place of laziness, but a place of walking in love and obedience to him. So we need to make every effort to enter the rest of God. I've always loved that, that apparent contradiction, that irony. I've got to really work hard to enter God's rest. <laughs> I've got to work hard because I've got to work against myself. I've got to work against my fears. I've got to work against the consequences and the corruption of sin in me. I've got to work against my bad decisions, sometimes my bad priorities. I've got to work against those to allow God to be God in me so that I can live in the Sabbath rest of God. So there is a, there is a work to this. There is an effort. The Sabbath is not a lazy day. <laughs> when you read through uh, non-Christian writings, but from the time of Jesus, there's not a lot said or known about Christians, or even for that matter, Jews. But there is this one Roman writer who knew two things about the Jews. One, that the men cut bits of themselves off. And secondly, that they all had a lazy day. That was it. That was what they knew about Judaism. The Sabbath is not a lazy day. The Sabbath is a day 
of celebration to help us refocus our hearts and minds. Why do we gather on a Sunday? Well, for some of us, it's just what we do. But hopefully, you hear God speaking to you, even if it's in strange accents and weird tongues. You hear the voice of God calling you back to himself and saying, my desire for you hasn't changed. I want you to live out of this. I want you to live out of this Sabbath rest. So what does this mean? How then should we live? What's my conclusion? Five things. First of all, work as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23. Whatever we do, work as unto the Lord. What does that mean? God wants to be involved in your business. Well, I'm not the boss. God wants to be involved in the business you're involved in. Work as unto the Lord. Because you know what? When you hear the voice of God intervening in your work situation, the celebration comes back. Work as unto the Lord. I know that many of us battle with this. There's a reality to which we get caught up in our, in our, in what we're doing. And, and I understand that. A few years ago, we had a great message entitled Popcorn Prayers. There is a way to pray that doesn't take an enormous amount of time but reflects the intent of the heart to always have our eyes on Jesus. Work as unto the Lord. If you recognize that your business is not submitted to Jesus, whether you're the boss or you're part of it, put it right now. So Lord, I don't even understand what that means, but I make you Lord of my, of my, my work. Because from that place, we can partner with him. From that partnership, we can live in the Sabbath rest of God. Secondly, take time out, especially to be with close friends and family. And uh, I put down here Exodus 34, 11. The, the, the word Exodus, the second book of the Bible, also a Greek word, more homework, but it means way out. Of course, historically, in the context, it means the way out of Egypt into the promised land. God has provided a way out. I know some of you, not natural extroverts, some of you, more natural introverts. Th th those words can be oppressive sometimes. It means, do you get your natural energy from being with people or from being alone? It doesn't, it's not an excuse if, you, if you're an introvert to never see people. The scripture tells us that we need one another and it doesn't qualify it with if you're an extrovert. We need one another. Whether we like it or not, that whole message, uh, the whole message of the, the various parts of the body in 1 Corinthians 12 is all about how we fit together as different pieces. But we need time out. And if your life is run by a diary, that is not sin, by the way. If your life is run by a diary, schedule your time out. 
if you're battling to get enough time to have a quiet time because your diary is too full, schedule your quiet time in your diary. You can put it in there, you can mark it as private. Schedule it, just because it's not part of your, uh, your, your other business meetings. If you were going for a haircut, you would put it in your diary. Put your quiet time in your diary. Don't put five minutes. Ex engage your faith. Put 20 minutes. Put half an hour. Put it in your diary so that you have time. Take time out. So that's the day-to-day the, the, the -day thing. Take time out to make sure not only that you celebrate with family and friends, but that you get a rest where you can take stock if you are tired, that you can get physical rest. And for the areas where you're depleted, that you can build them up again. Thirdly, recognize the difference between being tired and being depleted and find the right rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty nine. That's what we just read just now. Find the right rest for your souls. Like I mentioned earlier, if the right rest for your souls is going for a run, then go for a run. Don't go for a sleep. If the right rest for your souls is submitting your tax return, even though you know you're going to owe the, the taxman something, do it and commit it to Jesus in prayer. Don't do it on your own. Fourthly, guilt is the enemy, faith is our friend. 1 John 1, 9, which hopefully you learned at some stage, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all iniquity. Guilt keeps us looking backwards. Faith always faces forwards. Guilt is the enemy. And can I tell you what the, our biggest problem is in terms of, of dealing with this issue of, of guilt and faith is mediocrity. The opposite of faith is not sin. The opposite of faith is lukewarmness. So I challenge you here, our first meeting together at the beginning of 2022, don't be mediocre. If you're gonna fall off the bandwagon, Make sure you fling yourself right off, crash and burn and blow up in hellfire and, because God can deal with that. Mediocrity. That's what he says to the Laodiceans in uh, Revelation. Gets spat out of his mouth because you're lukewarm. Can't do anything. Commit yourself, fifth, fifthly, to celebrating the Sabbath. Matthew 12, verse 8. Commit yourself to celebrating the Sabbath. Don't go home now and say, yo, that was, that was quite a nice message. It's some good things to say. And then, as James talks about, tomorrow you've forgotten all about it. The next time you look at your diary... Remember what I said about scheduling stuff. The next time that you are 
somebody asks you to come and have a coffee with me, come and have a breakfast, whatever the case is, celebrate the time together because God wants us, has purposed for us, has planned for us, has enabled us, and still wants us to make the effort to live in that place of Sabbath, in that place of celebration. So I wonder if I can ask you to stand. I'd like us, I'd like to lead us in response to this. Can I ask you to close your eyes just so you can do business with God? Strive to enter that mental place of Sabbath, celebrating him, not thinking about the cappuccino you want to go and buy just now. Lord, we repent of not trying to honor you as we should in the Sabbath that you are living in and out of and want us to live in and out of now. So first of all, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, then we ask you to help us. You've given us some tools in terms of how to, in how, terms of how to do this. And the first one we, Lord, the first one, Lord, that we embrace is your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that when we do confess our sin, you're faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us and we receive that forgiveness. Lord, we don't try and justify ourselves because you can't forgive our self-justification and our excuses because they're not repentance. And you can only forgive when we repent. So we repent wholeheartedly by faith and we embrace what it is that you have said and provisioned and done for us. Lord, we covenant to manage our diaries differently. We covenant with you this morning to make our priorities through, especially throughout this year, different, to make them reflect the fact that we believe in you, this awesome, amazing God who we spent three quarters of an hour singing about and celebrating. We covenant with you to change our attitudes and we embrace those rhythms that bring peace in our otherwise chaotic lives. Lord, I recognize that only you can do this in us. I also recognize that we're probably gonna trip up a few times. Lord, I ask you by your spirit, empower us to not give up. To keep going back to you, even if each time we have to start with, Lord, I'm sorry, I've mucked up. You haven't given up on us, thank you. And we can't move forward until we've confessed so by faith, we embrace your solution for us and we step into this covenant that, that you have made with us, Sabbath. Lord, we choose to live Monday to Friday as well as Saturday and Sunday in the Sabbath rest of Almighty God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. If you want to connect with us further, log on to our website, venturechurch.co.za 
or connect with us on our various social pages, Instagram and Facebook.